0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. It's clear from the passage that we read today that every Christian is called to be a disciple. And Christ tells us the criteria for that discipleship, tells us what it costs. That it costs quite a bit. We have to leave all that we have and cling to Him and dedicate our life to Him. So, this is a concept at The very core of our life There's no such thing as a Christian Who doesn't live as a disciple There's no such thing So For us to be Real Christians that means we have to be real Disciples Okay, This is something That we unfortunately Don't talk about much In our Christianity In our faith In our culture as a whole We're very individualistic And We always focus on the actual person and his own way of life and what makes sense to him and the way the person wants to live. And so discipleship, this idea of living under the guidance of an elder or a teacher, is not a sort of idea people take pride in. it it almost denotes a little bit of weakness whenever you're dependent on someone or whenever you surrender or you submit your life to someone. And it almost implies the exact opposite of what it's intended for. Okay, so Pope Judah puts it in a very simple way. He says, Blessed are those who live as disciples, ready and willing to learn throughout their lives. Our problem, however is that we imagine that we already know something or that we've reached a point at which we don't need to ask or learn anymore. And so our culture dissuades us from living this type of life because deep down we have this inclination to be autonomous, to be independent. And our culture fosters that and says, you should be, you should be on your own. Forget about living a life of discipleship and really surrendering or submitting your life to the community of the church, the elders, the fathers, the priests, and so on. Okay, so I really want to talk about this way of life that is unfortunately on life support in our church and in our own personal lives. So hopefully, after shedding some light on what this is really all about and what it means We can revive it in our personal lives and live like true disciples. Okay, so I'm not going to talk so much about the cost of discipleship, which is what Christ mentioned in the passage today. But I just want to define it. And I want to talk about the significance of it. I want to talk about the fruits of it. And hopefully from there that will just spark that desire for us to really pursue this type of life. Okay, so for starters, a disciple is like a student. Okay? And Christ is our teacher. Okay? So when you think of a student and the way a student lives, it doesn't just come down to the few hours that the student spends in class. Right? A student like, has a life as a student, and he identifies as a student outside of class. He has his homework, he's studying, he's doing projects, he's doing things outside of the school building. So when you're a student, it's more of like a lifestyle, okay? If discipleship is like a student, then discipleship is not just reduced to the time we're in church listening to a sermon or the time that we're actually communicating with our elder. But discipleship is a way of life, okay? You can't reduce it to just a moment or a specific time. It's a way of life. And so, if that's the case, if it's a way of life, then it'll go to show whether we live as disciples whenever we carry ourselves. So, our conduct will speak to whether we live as disciples or not. Whether we live a life of obedience and humility and submission and surrender to the guidance of our elders and the church as a whole. Okay, so Christ says, they'll know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Not just by how much time you spend sitting at my feet and listening to me and seeking my guidance. But by your conduct, by the love that you have, people will know whether you're real disciples or not. Right? So it's a way of life and what goes to show whether we're disciples or not is our conduct in our daily lives whenever we live this lifestyle, we develop a spirit of obedience and humility. And I think this is why it's not really favorable in society because, you know, obedience and humility is not praised, right? What we praise in society and our culture is to have autonomy and pride and to be self-sufficient, to be independent, but humility and obedience is seen as weakness right but the matter of fact is that's exactly what the life of discipleship produces discipleship produces obedience and humility by nature because that's the way of life it entails saint porphyrius says obedience to an elder is a great virtue a great advantage it's everything it's everything This is how he defines it. Obedience to an elder is everything. You must pass through obedience to be a complete person in order to face the difficulties of human life. Without humility and without obedience, you don't have the grace of God. If you don't pass through humility and therefore through obedience, you have a very hard time. And I think this is what gets us in trouble is that we don't live this life of discipleship and we don't submit ourselves to the guidance of an elder or the community of the church or the mindset of the church and so we're left to follow our own will and there's no obedience or humility in that way of life there's absolutely no obedience and humility in the autonomous life because i have no one to answer to but myself i can satisfy my will at any time i can fast however i want to fast I can pray whenever, however, whatever books I want to read or the way that I want to even practice my spiritual life, I can do as many prostrations as I want, and it's all by my will. Okay? That's very dangerous. That's why he says obedience to an elder is a great virtue, a great advantage. It is everything. And so if it requires a life of humility and submission to an elder... Then it must exist within a community. I can't live as a disciple on my own. It can't just be like a private life exclusively with God. It can't be like my own relationship that I have alone. St. Perferius says our elder plays a very important role in our lives. The elder guides our footsteps. He's not simply an educated man. He's one who has lived in obedience and has received the grace of God. Such an elder is able to benefit those under him immensely if they're obedient to him. And we can go so far as to say that it doesn't have to be a priest or even a male figure. It's an elder or anyone who has advanced in the spiritual life. Whether that's a male or a female, a servant who is experienced. And so we submit our lives to the guidance of that person And typically It helps to Really correlate the two To have your father confession As your spiritual guide or your elder But that's not necessary It can be someone that you really confide in Someone that you really trust um, a, a certain woman That has a, a real commitment And devotion to God And real wisdom and discernment And so you go and you make yourself a disciple to that person okay and it can have and it can be several people it's not just exclusively one person right? but this is the mindset of discipleship that i just try to learn from as many elders as possible i submit myself to the guidance of the wisdom of the men and women who have advanced in their spiritual life and have that spirit of discernment in the church okay and we don't necessarily lose our personality or our, our identity whenever we submit ourselves to an elder. You know, the objective isn't just to become robots, but it's to learn obedience and humility. The objective is to receive that guidance and to grow so that our real self can come to life. Because when we're directed on the right path, then our personality, our character flourishes. Okay? Of course we can learn in several ways We can learn from the circumstances of our life We can learn from sermons We can read the books of the fathers The lives of the saints But discipleship has to be in submission Or in obedience to the elders in our church And the community of the church as a whole okay? One important note to keep in mind is that Regardless how far we advance, regardless of how much we know, we are human and we're fallible. There's a story of St. Macarius when he had a thought to visit a friend, an anchorite who was living out in the desert. And because he didn't trust this thought, he prayed and struggled with this thought. For over three years. Because he didn't know if maybe this is just a thought for the devil to distract him. Or maybe uh, it's the devil planting a seed of pride for him to go and show his face to another monk. And this is the same monk who had the grace of raising the dead. And because he recognizes his own fallibility, he prayed and struggled with this thought for three years. He recognized his own fallibility. And here we are so often, we say, I know God, I know which way to go, I know what's right and what's wrong. The scriptures tell us, He who trusts in his own mind is a fool. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six, And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah seventeen nine. And this is how all the fathers taught us. St. Bernard of Clairvaux says Anyone who takes himself for his own spiritual director Is the disciple of a fool Listen to that one more time Anyone who takes himself as his own spiritual director Is the disciple of a fool So I just want to take a moment to read for you From the life of St. Porphyrios Because he's a figure that Really embodies this Concept of discipleship and he accredits his sanctity, his advancement in his spiritual life to his obedience and discipleship that he learned from his first day of monasticism. Okay, so I'm just going to jump around a little bit from the book Wounded by Love, again by St. Perfurius. And you'll see how this concept was Real. It was real in his life. Okay? As I've said before, my elders were Father Pentelemon and his brother, Father Ioannikios. I loved them, though they were very strict. At the time, I didn't realize this because I loved them and I had the impression that they didn't treat me with austerity. I had great respect, devotion, and love for them. Right? So for starters, his relationship with them was one of love. It was one of trust. Even though they were very strict, and I'll show you some examples of how strict they really were. It says, I was utterly obedient to them. Obedience. What can I say? I truly knew the meaning of that word. I abandoned myself to obedience with joy and love. It was this absolute obedience that saved me. And it was on account of this that God gave me his charismatic gift. Yes, I repeat, I was utterly obedient to my elders, not forced obedience, but with joy and love. Okay, so you see how he accredits his advancement. Saint Porphyrius, who had this gift of clairvoyance and wisdom, and he advanced in his spiritual life more than anyone in his generation. And it was because he lived like a disciple, and he lived a life of obedience to his elders. He says because I loved my elders this love made me sense and realize what they wanted I knew what they wanted even before they asked and not only what but also how they wanted each thing I went here and I went there I was devoted to them and so my soul was winged with joy when I was with them I thought of no one else not my parents nor acquaintances not friends or the outside world my life was prayer joy and obedience to my elders. If they said something to me, I would observe it always at once. For example, the elder once said to me, wash your hands before you eat, and every time we were about to go to church because we're entering a holy place and everything must be clean. Remember, we're both priests and we celebrate the liturgy. We need to have our hands clean and to have everything clean about us. So, he goes on to talk about how every time he would walk Into the house, he would wash his hands. Going from one place to another, he would wash his hands. Going to the church, he would wash his hands. Whenever he would pick up the plates from the table, he would wash his hands. Whenever he would put things away, he would wash his hands. Everything was done according to his elder's will. Okay, And so, he talks about how this wasn't just a casual matter. Like, this was a struggle and it was challenging. He says... Remember that I had two elders and often they asked for conflicting things. One day, Father Yu said to me, take these stones from here and carry them over there. I took them to the place he showed me. Then the father confessor came by. As soon as he saw them, he scolded me and angrily saying, you crooked fellow, why did you do that? Is that where we want these stones? Take them back to where you found them. Whenever he got angry, he would use the phrase, you crooked fellow, to scold me. And the next day, Father Ioannikios passed by. He saw the stones in their original place, and he fumed at me, saying, didn't I tell you to take the stones over there? I hung my head and blushed. I made a penitent bow before him and said, forgive me, elder. I carried almost all of them over, but the other elder saw me and said, take them back where you found them. That's where we needed them. So I took them back. And Father Ioannikius said not a word. They did things like this to me often, but I never suspected anything. I didn't think, are you doing this to test me? I never discerned, however, that they were testing me. Even if they were testing me, things occurred so naturally that I never realized it. And so he lived this sort of obedience that wasn't a matter of like passing through a trial or let me just pass the test. Let me just see if, you know, God is testing me here so I can succeed or pass this test. Because that sort of obedience is fake. It's just for the sake of passing a test. And so he never even thought about the reason why they would ask him to do these difficult tasks. If you thought that was a little tough, take a look at this next part. So he learned how to carve wood for his handicapped for his trade. Okay, and so he talks about one experience whenever he started to carve a, a little object. So he said, one day I took a fine piece of wood and traced out a design on it. I carved a very fine black bird full of movement with its wings stretched back and pecking at a grape. The grape was hanging from the branch of a climbing vine that had two or three leaves, and the blackbird was taking the grape with its open beak. It was very fine. I had finished it all off with sandpaper. When my elders returned, I went to greet them with a bow. I took my carving with me and said to Father Ioannikios, Look what I've made. As soon as he saw it, his eyes glazed over and he started raging. Who told you to make that? Did you ask anyone? He grabbed it and threw it on the floor, smashing it into smithereens. Go at once and tell the elder, he said. I was mortified and I asked for his forgiveness. Without realizing it, I had upset them. Why do you do things without asking? Go at once to the elder and show him the pieces and make confession. I went straight away to the elder and showed him the pieces. And he said to me, you shouldn't have done that, my boy. Nothing gets done without a blessing. Nothing gets done without a blessing. That way you can easily be led astray and lose the grace of God. I made a bow of penitence and asked His forgiveness with simplicity and without passion. The reproach didn't vex me. On the contrary, I thought my elders should have been harsher to me. They should have punished me. You see how this fostered A spirit of humility in his life. Even after a situation like this, he learned that he went off on his own to try a new task that he didn't have the blessings to do. And whenever his elders disciplined him, he said, this is good for me. And this is what David says, it is good that I have been afflicted that I might learn your statutes. And so we deprive ourselves of this chastisement of that affliction, of that guidance, of that discipline, when we don't have a life of discipleship. And this is why he advanced and learned. I'll just conclude with this last part from the book. I took great delight in these incidents because I loved them. But they too had great love for me, even if they didn't display it. I loved both my elders, but I leaned particularly... For support on the one who was my spiritual father, Elder Penteleman. Just as David says, My soul has stuck fast behind you. Your right hand has supported me. So my own soul stuck fast to my elder. This is quite true. And my heart was with his heart. I watched him. I sensed him. He took me out and we went to the keriakon, And from there we went to our various tasks together. And pay attention to this next part. He says... It's incredible how much I sensed him. That sanctified me greatly. The fact that I stuck to him like a leech sanctified me. The fact that my heart was glued to his heart worked wonders for me. He was a very great saint. And yet the elder said nothing to me. And so he goes on to say how just living in his presence sanctified him. Observing sanctified him. And that's what a disciple does. A disciple lives by just following the master, following the teacher, walking in his footsteps. There's a story of the three monks that went to visit St. Anthony. And one of them would always go, and while the other two are asking questions this whole time, he wouldn't say a word. Every year, these three would make this long journey, sit with St. Anthony, and two of the brothers are asking questions, and one of them is just sitting there silent. And St. Anthony, one year, just says, look, you three make this long journey every year, and you're always here. You never ask any questions. Is anything on your mind? And he says, St. Anthony, it's enough for me to simply be in your presence. He wanted to just go And sit at his feet. To learn from him by observing. The disciples always observing. Always learning from what's around him. Always attentive to what the church teaches. This is the way every Christian lived. Despite their position. Regardless of their role. Whether they're monks or laymen, priests, deacons. Everyone lived in this life. It's not... Reserved for the monastics. This isn't something that only the monks do. You know how everyone would leave their cities to go to the monks and make these long journeys to sit at their feet and to say, Abba, give me a word. Pope the III says, What a lovely phrase it was that any one of those who visited the fathers used to say, Give me a word which I might live by. For the word is a spiritual food. He takes it and nourishes his soul by it. He lives by it and benefits from it. He doesn't only gain intellectual benefit, but gains also in the practical aspects of life so that it becomes a beneficial and useful word. And so everyone lived in this way, to go to the elder and say, give me a word. And that would suffice to feed that person They would take that one instruction and and they would go live that one word, apply it, live by it. And then a year later, a couple of years later, come back and say, give me another word. And that would be their life, their heart and soul, to really apply this. A lot of times we think that, okay, that's great, but I'm an adult now like sure, disciples, students, that's whenever you're young, you're learning, you're in school. I'm, I'm older, I'm an adult, that ship has sailed. But this is for the advanced in as much as it is for the beginners. As a matter of fact, those who are advanced recognize their need for this even more because it's an indication of maturity. So I would say those ...who feel like they've grown it out... ...have grown out of this life of discipleship... ...have forgotten what it means to be a real Christian. Because Christianity is to continue growing... ...and to continue learning... ...and to increase in obedience and humility. St. Macarius, again, the one who had the grace of raising the dead... ...the star in the wilderness went to ask for advice from a young little boy. His name was Zechariah. And so from the story in the Desert of the Fathers, whenever Saint Macarius approached him, it says that the boy was amazed and said to him, Are you, Father, you who are the star of the desert and its light, asking me, a young boy, for a word of help? He was shocked. And Saint Macarius replied humbly, I trust my son in the Holy Spirit who is in you and that you have something which I need to know. I need to know. The great Saint Macarius comes to a child and he says, yes, you're living with God. I trust that the Spirit is working within you. There's something that I need to know. I don't know at all. And we don't just go to anyone, of course. Those who are living a life of discipline And a life of prayer who have that wisdom and discernment. So I'll just conclude with this final example. I think St. Paul speaks for this better than anyone else. If you remember on his road to Damascus, he met Christ face to face, he saw his light, he spoke to him personally. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is a hard thing for you to kick against the goats. God is speaking to him. And he has this conversion. Right? This isn't just any casual experience with an ordinary person. This is someone who is worthy of God visiting him and speaking to him to face, face to face. And so what happens after he says, okay, who are you and what would you like me to do? Right? He's got God right in front of him. Now God can explain to him exactly what to do. Right? This personal relationship, it's just me and God, me alone with God. What does he tell him? He says, go enter the city, go to Damascus, and the apostles will tell you what to do. Why? Because he wanted St. Paul to be discipled from other men under the feet of the apostles. But God, you're right there. Just tell me, like, it's me and you, and you're speaking to me now. Tell me all that I need to know. No, no, no. Go into the city, and the disciples will disciple you. (laughs) And you will likewise disciple others. Father Patrick Reardon says, The answer of the Lord to Saul asserted that the church has the authority to speak for Christ. This answer repeated... In specific reference to the Saul of Tarsus, what Jesus had earlier declared to the church, when Christ said, He who hears you, hears me. So he's telling his disciples, Anybody who hears you, hears me. So you are speaking on my behalf. And that's why Christ tells St. Paul to go to the disciples, because they will hear Christ through the disciples. And he will be discipled in that way. And so, Father Patrick Reardon continues to say, This was the first lesson the soon-to-be apostle was to learn at depth. That he enjoyed no special one-on-one access to Christ that did not involve the church. Christ would give Saul no instruction beyond go into Damascus and do exactly what the church tells you to do. You get the significance of this? I hope that we really understand what it means to be a disciple and that we dedicate our life to this path, that we may really experience the grace of obedience, the grace of humility, just as you saw in the way that Saint Porphyrius describes it, how he accredited all of his sanctity to this way of life. And it leads from one step to another and from one phase to another. And if we really live this life, then our discipleship will become a sermon to others. And to God is due our glory forever. Amen.